chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, uh, unholy without natural affection, truth breakers, uh, false accusers, uh, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. In this chapter, Paul warns of the apostasy that was to come in the last days. And by the time this chapter ends, we will also see the antidote for apostasy, and that is the word of God. In this passage, Paul lists 19 words or phrases to describe the last days. Number one, self-lovers. Lovers of selves. Number two, covetous. Lovers of money. Number three, boasters. Those who esteem themselves higher than they are. And those who pretends to credible uh, qualities of which he doesn't possess. Number four, proud. Lifted up in self. Number five, blasphemous. No regard for God or man. Number six, disobedient to parents. Number seven, unthankful. Ungrateful people. Number eight, unholy. They are against God in their conversation and in their manner of life. Number nine, without natural affection means having abnormal relationships such as homosexuality. Number 10, truth breakers are people uh, who are impossible to get along with. Number 11, false accusers, those who spread false accusations of others to smear their good name. Number 12, incontinent means without self-control. Number 13, fierce means to be ungovernable in their desires. It means savage, undisciplined, ungovernable. 14, despises of those that are good. A, a better translation of this is haters of the good. And we got a bunch of haters in the world. Number 15, traitors means betrayers. They can't be trusted. Number 16, heady. Heady, which means reckless. Number 17, high-minded means blinded by pride or drunk with pride. It means swelled head. They are inflated with a sense of their own importance, self-centered. Number 18, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. In other words, they worship self instead of God. And number 19, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. They go through all the correct outward movements and maintain all the external forms of religion, but they know nothing of the dynamic power of God that is on the inside of believers. They talk the talk but are unable to walk the walk. They appear on the surface to be Christians, but their hearts are far Far, far from God. But we as believers are not to hang with these type of people. Alright, look at verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep or creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diver lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, these apostates creeps and deceives others, keeping them from coming to God. And the deceived folks are forever learning everything but the truth of the word of God. They are learning this philosophy and that philosophy, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Why? Because falsehood cannot bring a person to the knowledge of the truth of God's word. Verse 8. Now as James and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. 
but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be uh, manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. James and, and Jambres are the names given to the court uh, magicians of Pharaoh who opposed Moses and Aaron when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. At first, these magicians were able to match the wonders which Moses and Aaron did, but in the end, they were defeated and discredited. In the Old Testament, they are not named, but they are referred to in Exodus 7 and 11, 8 and 7 and 9 and 11. A whole collection of stories gathered round their names. Among all the stories, one fact stands out. James and Jambres became legendary figures typifying all those who oppose or would oppose the purposes of God and the work of his true leaders. The Christian leader will always have opponents, will always have opposition. But one thing Paul was sure, the days of the deceivers were numbered. The history of the Christian church teaches that falsity cannot live. It may flourish for a time, but when it is exposed to the light of truth, it is bound to shrivel and die. There there is only one test of determining uh, falsehood, and that is by their fruits. The best way to overcome and to banish the false is to live in such a way that the loveliness and graciousness of the truth is plain for all to see. The defeat of of error depends not on just skill in controversy, but also in the demonstration in life of the more excellent way. All right, look at verse number 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecution, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystrus, which what persecutions I endured, but of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, we see here that the task of an apostle was not just telling men the truth, but also helping them to live it. By his own example, the true leader gives training in living. He first must be an example of what he's teaching. And he must demonstrate and illustrate his teaching uh, by his life. Paul practiced what he preached. He lived by what he taught. Paul's life was an open book filled with the word of God, with a God-given purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. His life also consisted of much persecutions and afflictions, and Timothy knew of Paul's suffering, which he had endured in his journeys. But the good news was that God had delivered him out of them all. Then Paul lets us know that we cannot escape persecution. Everyone who lives a holy life, who loves a holy life, who enjoy living a holy life in this world, will encounter persecution. Then he lets us know that the evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. All right? Look at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Paul concludes this chapter or section with an appeal to Timothy to remain loyal to all the teaching he had received. 
Then he says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, just how good is the Holy Scripture? Well, number one, it is profitable for doctrine. It is good for doctrine, that is, for teaching. That's why we teach it. It is good for reproof, which means conviction. Studying the word of God and teaching it should bring conviction to somebody's life. Number three, it is good for correction. That is, setting things right in your life. Correction of error. And number four, it is good for instruction in righteousness, which means discipline, thinking, and acting in accordance with the will of God. And if we apply everything that is applicable from Genesis to Revelation to our lives, we will come to the mature state in Christ Jesus, and we will have a life that are filled with good works. Timothy had been taught the word of God, and now he was to declare the word of God. Paul has clearly shown that in the midst of apostasy, we must declare the word of God. The word of God is something special. When it gets into your life, it does something that no other book can do because it is the very word of God.